0: You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled, Metrics That Matter for SaaS Success, featuring experts from Chargebacks 911 and Chargebee. Okay, great. We've got some people. Um, seems like everybody's kind of joining us. A couple more seem like they're logging in right now, but uh, we're going to go ahead and get started and um, um, you know get this on the road. Uh, I just want to welcome everybody to the webinar. I want to thank everyone for taking the time out of their day to join us. Uh, my name is Jared Wright. I'm the Marketing Director here at Chargebacks 911. Um, For those of you unfamiliar with Chargebacks 911, real quick, uh, we help merchants prevent chargebacks before they happen, and then we help them manage their disputes for the chargebacks that we were unable to prevent. Um, Also presenting today is Yogesh Krishnan. I hope I said that right, Yogesh? Absolutely, Jared. Okay, and Yogesh is the Partner uh, Marketing Lead at Chargebee. Um, Yogesh, do you want to take a moment and tell us a little bit about what Chargebee does? Um before I get started here? Sure. Thank you so much, Jared. So um
1: Chargebee is a subscription management platform which helps businesses handle all aspects of the subscription lifecycle, which includes recurring billing, invoicing, and trial management for, for your customers. Um so I'm <clears throat> looking forward to this webinar and can talk about Chargebee a little bit more as we get into this. Thanks again, Jared.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I'm I'm looking forward to it too. Um, and then now just a little bit of housekeeping before I get started, I want to go over how the webinar will be structured. The first part of the webinar will be a presentation from myself and from Yogesh. Um, this portion will be fairly visual, so it's important that if possible, you close other windows and give us your attention. The second part of the webinar will be a Q&A where we answer many of the questions that were submitted. Um, that portion will be less visual, so if you want to just listen to that part, that is okay with us. Uh, Please feel free to also submit any questions you have during the webinar. We promise to answer any questions submitted, uh, if not live, then definitely after the webinar. Also, just because everyone always asks, this webinar will be available for replay starting hopefully tomorrow, but definitely the next day or so. Not all of the Q&A portion will be necessarily included in that recording, however, so we encourage you to stay with us today to get the maximum benefit out of this event. Um, lastly, the, um, this and other webinars will eventually be released in audio form on our podcast. Um, If you'd like to check out the podcast, just search for Charge Forward, all one word, with Chargebacks911, however you listen to your podcasts. Okay, now I've been hosting these webinars for a while, and at one point it occurred to me that I may be missing out on a great opportunity. Um, I have a, um, a a great chance to speak with different types of industry experts, but I wasn't necessarily asking them the questions that I really wanted to know. Um, so I've started each of these webinars by asking or sort of forcing myself to ask a dumb question. Um, this this might be just a question that I have, but I'm hoping that some of the attendees are also wondering the same thing. So it's sort of like a little icebreaker. Do, do you mind, Yogesh, if I ask you a dumb question? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so, so when you and I started talking about this webinar, um, you really brought the idea of doing a webinar on recurring billing for um, SaaS businesses. Um, you know, rather than other membership or retail uh, businesses that might be using recurring billing, and um, I really like the idea because we haven't really done much on this topic. But honestly, you know, I started thinking about it, and I and I started realizing that I wasn't 100% sure uh, that I could articulate the differences or the different pain points that a SaaS business would have um, over other businesses. So, so really, that's kind of my dumb question, um, and I'm, I'm hoping maybe you can. Um, uh, you know, talk a little bit about that today. You know, what are the important distinctions from your perspective between a, a SaaS and other subscription billing businesses?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, Jared, I think there are some fundamental differences starting right from the point of how um, you acquire customers, how the product evolves, how you provide customer support, and of course, show them the value uh, to them, and of course, how you price them and build them. There's also a difference between enterprise SaaS and B2C SaaS Um, as well. uh, You might have situations where enterprise solutions will have special pricing plans, intricate sales workflows that involve CRMs, approval processes and payment processes. And on the other hand, B2C and consumer subscriptions, businesses need to start thinking about the kind of checkout experience you want to give to your customers. How easy do you make it for them to sign up? How easy do you make them make it for them to upgrade downgrade or cancel like you made with your own netflix account uh, as 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 an instance uh, you also need to think about how easy do you help them to pause uh, subscriptions or give out give subscriptions so all of this sort of comes together and and the fundamentally changes the way saas businesses and traditional e-commerce or b2c's uh, sort of software need to operate so right from the point of time when you capture a lead to recognize it in the ledger, there are differences.
0: Okay, great. And actually, this this brought me to another question too. So 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 when you when you're saying SaaS, you're, you're primarily talking um, uh, about the B two B SaaS. So that it it wouldn't be because I, I'm I'm you know ideas are coming to my mind where there's you know software. Um, uh, subscriptions uh, that that consumers might use, but but you, but your your primary focus or th- this this topic is going to focus primarily on B two B, or am I am I am I kind of thinking about that wrong?
1: So I'm I'm trying to address um, SaaS in general, B two B SaaS and B two C SaaS as well. So if you think about the way a lot of SaaS businesses have evolved, um, f- for instance, when Salesforce started off, it start they started off by selling the product to small teams and individuals where individuals wanted to manage their sales processes more efficiently. And then it's, they started getting into the enterprise. So as companies evolve, as, as the products mature, it starts bleeding one into the other. One, one product that I like to think about is Canva. If you haven't used Canva, it's a design software, which makes it easy, easy for marketers like me, to put together a design and just, just have it out there. So, It's very much SAS, it's very much B2C
0: as well. So it's a little bit of both, uh, Jared. Okay, yeah, that's 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 kind of the, the way that I was thinking about it too. That's 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 super interesting. So hopefully, I think I, you know I, I know that we, we kind of went over this, uh, and I don't want you to talk too much about what you're going to talk about in your slides, but uh, I'm really looking forward to the um, to the information that you're presenting today. I think I think part of the reason why I'm looking forward to it is because it's really been a spiel of mine for a while the importance of data in making a lot of these decisions. Um, from our perspective, you know, we're looking at uh, uh, recurring billing fr- from a chargeback prevention or chargeback management standpoint, um, but um, uh, you know, in, in marketing, we talk all the time about A-B testing, and for me, when it comes to chargebacks, when it comes to chargeback management, A-B testing is equally as important. Um, it's something I've talked a lot about before, but I think in today's topic, it's super important because um, I think it's going to dovetail real nicely into into what you're going to talk about today. Um, so, so just I'm gonna, uh, you know, sort of zoom out real quick and just try to get through this idea as quickly as I can. I want to give you uh, plenty of time to to kind of talk about the things that you're going to talk about. But um, in order for me to make my point, it's important that we talk about the reasons that chargebacks happen. All chargebacks are caused by one of three things: criminal fraud, merchant error, or friendly fraud. Um, and for now, let's just go ahead and get rid of criminal fraud. Uh, with recurring billing, you're probably more often dealing with chargebacks that are caused by either merchant error, which are avoidable mistakes that are causing chargebacks, or friendly fraud, um, which simply put are improper chargebacks filed by the customer. So, the, the, the truth is that most chargebacks contain some element of merchant error and some element of friendly fraud. So, if we rename the extreme cases chargeback fraud and merchant fraud and say that everything else falls somewhere in between, um, all chargebacks on the left of the spectrum are the preventable chargebacks, and all chargebacks um, on the right side of the spectrum are representable, which essentially means that a, a merchant will likely win a properly documented dispute. Now, here's the important part. There's a large area in the middle where both the merchant and the customer share some part of the responsibility. Uh, what's important to understand is that all of the red-yellow and all of the orange is technically friendly fraud, so you w- you have a high likelihood or at least a, a, um, a greater than um, 50% chance of winning those disputes. Um, uh, but a major key to a successful chargeback management strategy is making a decision about whether it's better to prevent or dispute a chargeback that falls somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. And so this is sort of where the A-B testing ties into it. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through some, some real quick examples and, and hopefully this will kind of help help frame the, um, the, the idea uh, for you guys and, and might, might give you a, a helpful way to kind of think about um, some of these decisions. So so one that's, that's probably really relevant is the billing notifications. Um, reminding customers a few days ahead of each charge will absolutely reduce the number of chargebacks you receive, but it may also in- increase churn. Notifying them after each charge may prevent some chargebacks, but may also um, decrease the number of second and third rebills. Um, and then if you choose not to notify customers at all, you'll likely maximize the profit, but you'll also in- incur a lot of chargebacks. The key here, as with all of these things that we're gonna talk about today, is that it's important that you identify the best fit for your business. And so that's, I think, where Yogesh and some of the ideas that he's gonna talk about kind of tie into that because really the way that you make that decision in a formed way is by looking at the data and understanding the data. so let me give you a different example. Um, this is an example. The example on the screen is a little tongue-in-cheek, but it illustrates the impact of language on um, both the uh, sales and chargebacks. Um, you know, using hyperbole, exaggerations, or you know, kind of lies uh, have always been part of advertising. Um, if you just look at a photo at a hamburger at a fast food menu, um, you can imagine if they sold Whoppers online. And you know that hamburger somehow arrived to you in the mail sight unseen. Um, the hamburger company would probably be dealing with a lot of chargebacks. Um, so, so merchants should consider how the language they use creates expectations. Um, you know, a lot of times what we see is that there's. Sort of sort of aggressive sales language that the merchant believes is uh, is contributing to their conversions, contributing to their sales. Um, but really what it's doing it, primarily the primary function that it's serving in their business is that it's increasing their chargeback liability. and And really, it's one of those things, just like with all this, where it's really difficult to intuit. Um, you know what, the, what the, you know where that you know sweet spot is for your business, um, and so and so really having uh, you know testing things out and then really reviewing the data um, in, in a in a in a very holistic way is 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 what what you need to do for your business. Okay, and I'm just going to give one more example here, but it's they all sort of have the same model. So, so really, I could give ten examples, but I think um, I think two or three is is probably sufficient to really illustrate this point. Um, and and th- this last one is something that that a lot of um, the people on the webinar probably deal with a lot, and that's around the friction surrounding cancellations. Um, So if your only goal is to prevent all of the chargebacks that you can, you will make it very easy for customers to cancel their subscriptions. Um, You may even go as far as to refund recent billing cycles if the customer requests it. Conversely, however, if your goal is to reduce churn and that's your only goal, you would probably make it harder for people to cancel. Um, you might require cancellations in writing 30 days in advance you, you may have you know certain requirements um, that the uh, that the customer may have to document or certain things that, that uh, uh, you know things that, that you request them to do in order to, to reduce the likelihood that they're going to cancel um, so these are very t- two very real knobs and it's a very clear example I think of um, you know sort of uh, you, you can you can turn one of the knobs and you should be able to see a very real result, a very measurable result. Um, and again, the the only real way to know the impact of you know changing these policies and sort of really changing your philosophy um, in these areas is is to is to to test in a limited capacity. Um, and uh and then and then just look at the data that results from that test. And the last thing I'm just going to point out because I think this is also s- super important and this is where I think if there's any area where where a merchant might make a mistake is they might they might not understand the the actual impact that chargebacks are having on. Um, their business, you know, if if it's if it's a, if it's a question of one to one, so so if if you make a change one direction and and you have you know a one percent increase in um, churn, and then you move in another direction, you have a one percent increase in chargebacks. Um, it's important to understand that chargebacks generally cost significantly more than churn on a dollar for dollar comparison, um, and that's because the um, the actual Revenue lost is a very small percentage of the, um, the the total cost that you're going to be dealing with as a merchant. In fact, the uh, LexisNexis true cost of fraud study—they do it—I think every year essentially. The um, the most recent number was something like a three x multiplier. So for every dollar that was charged back, um, the the merchant was going to be dealing with um three times the cost and this is an example here uh you know for every merchant their costs are going to break out to be different some may have products some may not um but but generally speaking with with additional fees and administrative costs um you know the 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 total cost of to the merchant is significantly more than that top line cost so so when you're evaluating and when you're looking at your metrics it's super important that you have that you have a realistic estimate of of what that total cost is um, to you, um, not to mention the cost of dissatisfied customers, on reputation, things like that, um, which, you know, that's a very, very, uh, you know, th- th- that can have um, staggering long-term impact on um, your business and revenue. So so that's basically it. That's, you know, it's just a real 10,000-foot view, and I'm really excited to now hand the reins to, uh, to Yogesh, who's going to uh, go through his presentations, and uh, I'm just going to sit back, and I'm going to listen. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jared. Thanks for the opportunity
1: for uh, for speaking today, and thanks for inviting me here. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Yogesh, and as Jared mentioned earlier, I lead partner marketing at Chargebee. Um, as I mentioned a little while earlier, Chargebee is a revenue management, uh, revenue operations platform which is used by SaaS businesses and e-commerce businesses worldwide to automate their recurring billing and manage subscription workflows. Chargebee lets merchants streamline their entire workflows from managing trials, modeling pricing plans, delivering checkout experiences to actually collecting those payments on a recurring basis. Chargebee also helps automate recovery when payments fail, recognize revenues for finance teams, and of course provides the dashboards and metrics that helps uh, chart out growth. As of today, we power the subscription billing and revenue operations for thousands of uh, SaaS businesses with out of the box capabilities to solve well over 480 revenue workflows and scenarios that uh, businesses typically face. Well, um, getting into the topic of today, I hope to provide you a view, a preview of the kind of metrics that subscription businesses look at, the way business managers can start thinking of all of this data, and actually start using these to drive deeper efficiency in day-to-day operations. Um, I want to start today's talk with the interesting story of how Adobe has completely changed and transformed their business model over the past decade or so from selling licensed product with one-time fees to a deep focus on subscriptions. Uh, Where they made the shift back in 2007 to 2009 they faced immense resistance and a lot of skepticism both from investors, customers, and from employees themselves. There was severe backlash from the users who rather prefer that they owned the software right out rather than rent it from them. Um, The stock price took a hit, and essentially what happened was they came in for a lot of criticism at the time. But time proved that the model that they adopted was right, and since so then, as you can see on the chart, on the right-hand side of the screen, they made the, sh- the shift very, very successfully. They have moved from less than a few million dollars in 2009 in terms of having subscriptions, part of, subscriptions contributing to their revenue to something like $7.5 billion of uh, their revenues comes from the subscription uh, stream. Now, if you think of a B2C perspective, Brands like Amazon, Blue Apron, Dollar Shape Club, and Birchbox, and many more have adopted subscriptions as a viable business model to pursue. Let's take a step and step back and think about why this love for subscriptions? What's happening in the economy that's driving businesses to think different and, and have their offerings to the customers in a different manner? SaaS or e-commerce, as you can see, the numbers are very, very encouraging. In 2020, the size of the SaaS market is estimated to be is estimated to hit 76 billion dollars. And the subscription box market is estimated to hit $478 billion. The model has taken over virtually every industry software, services, direct to consumer goods, beauty products, pet food, media, and even food delivery have realized that there is immense value in actually being able to have a predictable revenue stream. So, what is the shift meant for business managers uh, who have moved from the traditional business model where the sales process was largely linear and dependent on on a one-time sales activity? Unlike the traditional way of selling, the recurring business model offers a much higher degree of stability, measurability, and predictability. These three factors form a foundation, a firm foundation that enables business executives to take a much more analytical approach to driving business success. And this has meant that there's a far greater focus on the customer throughout the life cycle and on the processes and operations. This has changed the way the customers are acquired, converted, and delighted. Let's unpack that a little bit. This shift has meant that the traditional flow of awareness to consideration to preference to purchase has been upended by what we like to call the revenue loop. The traditional funnel is increasingly being seen as being unsustainable where more and more resources are needed to get more out of the bottom. You need to put in more in terms of advertising, in terms of your um, paid ads at the top to get leads. try to optimize for your lead to MQL to SQL, not really looking at what it means from a customer perspective and in terms of getting growth out at the bottom of the funnel. However, if you think of it as a loop, you really get to focus on where you reinvest to get all of that growth. It may come out as investing in the product, in customer success teams, or in marketing and sales approaches. With teams now owning the entire cycle from acquisition to activation, retention, growth, and loyalty. Managers need to deeply understand data to drive levers for success. And this is a critical step that, that people are beginning to take. And um, the next type, let's just think about what it actually means to measure these data points. What does it mean t- to actually look at these metrics and how do you define what actionable metrics are and how you can use this in this loop. Many teams claim that they are data-driven and tend to look at data points that may not actually be of consequence. As you start building out your metrics dashboard, ask yourself this, does the metric being measured lead to an actual course of action? Can you change aspects of what you're doing that can impact your operations in a meaningful way? For instance, can you experiment really quickly with pricing? Or can you afford to offer 24 by seven support on a consistent basis? The data that you look at should give you these answers. The second lens that you need to apply is, can you replicate the experiments and the results as well? Since you now have a focus on driving predictable revenue streams, think about how the data can be a strong enabler in consistently converting actions to results. And finally, ask yourself, does the data matter? Think about if the metric you're tracking is valid for the kind of business you're in, for the stage of maturity that your uh, business is going through right now, And of course, for the kind of customers that you serve. Don't get sidetracked with vanity metrics and optimize instead for the metrics that actually matter. So what are the metrics that matter? So starting off with some of the crowd favorites um, at a very basic level, think about the monthly recurring revenue that you're able to generate and see how that translates into annual revenue. Keep a close eye on churn and see how they're moving out over a period of time. And of course, with profitability, keep track on the cost of how you're acquiring your customers and ask yourself, is that it? Not necessarily. You can get as granular as you want to or as abstract as you need to be, depending on what sort of a team you're running, the stage of business and the issues that you want to solve. At ChargeP, we help businesses track 150 plus metrics, right from revenue data to subscription data to payment metrics, and also order and shipment information. I actually have a spreadsheet with definitions of these metrics, including um, some pointers on how you should read them and how you need to interpret them. I'm happy to send out that sheet uh, to to all of you once the webinar is over, more realistically realistically in in a day or so. So as you can see, there are plenty of metrics to follow, but what do you focus on? Let's start by, um, well, over the next few slides, I want to talk about some of the metrics that we in charge, we as a SaaS business ourselves, keep a close eye on and try to optimize for. First of all, we try, we look at lifetime value, which at the heart of it is simply the money that you expect to earn from a customer over a given period of time. Formula for the for LTV is, is what you see on this screen. It's the average revenues per user multiplied by your gross margin and the lifetime that you expect the average customer to spend with you. To improve this metric, there are a couple of levers that you can um, operationalize. You can work on customer support and the product itself to increase customer stickiness. You could play around with your pricing and experiment a bit to move up your monthly revenue rate. And of course, you can work on your cost of goods sold, and which also includes the loaded cost of acquiring customers. The next metric we sort of pay a little bit of attention to is the ability to build up negative churn, or ensuring that customers are paying you more than what you're losing as a result of downgrades or churn logos. If you're able to consistently build up negative churn, you can continue to grow despite losses. So the expansion revenue being greater than lost revenue is what negative churn consists of. Expansion revenue can come from the upsells that you have, cross-sells that you do within the product, any services that you are able to build, and add-ons that you're able to sell. With a good negative churn rate, you mitigate the risk of churn from from your customers, and you also see that you're, you're more efficient having some large accounts and all of this results in growth despite having those losses. Another metric that's of interest to us is the net dollar expansion rate. Uh, This simply put is a measure of a cohort, of how a cohort of your customers are actually contributing to your profits. Take a section of customers who joined up at a particular point of time and see how that cohort has grown. As a formula, it's essentially the Revenue that you had at the beginning of your period plus the upgrades, and then you remove the downgrades and the churn, all of that divided by the beginning of period revenue. If that formula yields a number that's greater than 100%, then what that essentially means is that growth from your existing customer base has more than offset any losses from customers that churn out or have downgraded. A good net dollar expansion rate indicates a few things talks about how well are you expanding versus how badly are you shrinking? How well have you been doing over a period of time given that churn is a naturally occurring phenomenon? It also helps you think about what's your growth efficiency? What is your ability to build up negative churn? Or in other words, how are you ensuring that customers are paying you more than what you're losing? The next ratio that I have here is called the SAS Quick Ratio. This is more of a rule of thumb that analysts like to look at, and investors like to look at this one as well. It essentially reveals your revenue health. While there is a difference between growth and healthy growth, the SAS Quick Ratio is something is, can show you what the difference can be. It's essentially the ratio of the new MRR that you've had plus the expansion MRR that you've had. Uh, divided by the contraction in your in your revenues and the churn that you have seen, getting to a ratio of four is a good benchmark to aim for. While a quick ratio greater than one is an important hallmark of health, if you want to raise your sights a little higher, four is a good place to start. It's a good sign that you're growing in a sustainable way, and if you can maintain ratios as you begin to scale, investors are probably going to take a good look at you and think of you as a good candidate for investment. Uh, the other point that I would like to make over here is, uh, think about focusing on churn first and growth second. While in the early days of an organization, it's, it's, it is possible to have a really high quick ratio fueled by low churn and high growth, it sort of flips around as you grow. It gets harder and harder to sustain high growth rates. As businesses mature, you, your focus need to switch, and in order to keep your revenue growth healthy, sustainable, and predictable, churn needs to be your your primary focus. So, the uh, summary of this is: at early stage, fix your uh, fix your run revenue run rate, and as you grow up, look at opportunities on how you can anchor churn. Now, what does all this mean for teams that are at the pointy end of operations. If you're in finance operations, you need, the questions that you really need to be able to answer should result in actionable items that you can take away for your business and things that you can actually do on a day-to-day basis. Um, what I'm trying to do over here is to raise some of the questions that you should be thinking as teams and uh, how you can actually look at those metrics and how you can derive those metrics. If you're in finance, for instance, think about what is the actual revenue you have generated? Uh, How much do your customers owe you? Do you have many failed transactions? Is there there a, a particular payment gateway that has not worked out well for you? From an acquisition point for sales and marketing, do you know which channels bring in your best customers? Do you know how your MRR is being split by acquisition channel. Do you know who your best representatives, uh, account reps are? From bis- business operations perspective, are you able to answer questions like, are you losing more money than you're making if you're sending out coupon codes? Do you know how many orders are actually getting, re- getting returned? For customer success teams, do you know which customer success agents contributes the most to your expansion revenue? Do you know which of your customers have had the highest retention rates after 12 months? Do you know what sort of LTVs are there? Do you know how, if that's actually going up? Now, what I've described so far should be an introduction to the metrics that should be looking at and uh, there's a whole wealth of reading that's out there, and I'm almost coming to the end of my, my talk here. I wanted to use this opportunity to present to you some authors, articles, and blog posts that you should definitely take a look at as you embark upon your journey of discovering the metrics that actually matter for you and that matter for your team. I encourage you to uh, look at this list. I'll be sure to send this list to you um, along with the spreadsheet that I mentioned earlier. And I have think I've come to the end of my slides, Jared. So I think we can take on questions if we have them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and let's get to these questions. Um, <clears throat> okay, the first question, um, and I'll sort of take the lead on this question is, uh, they were asking, how should I measure my win weight with regard to chargebacks? And um, what is a good win rate? Um, so the, the first part of the question is uh, it's, it's super super important that you track net win rate. Um, and so, that, so that doesn't mean you know the percentage of chargebacks that you dispute. It, it, it means the percentage of overall chargebacks. So for example, if you have 100 chargebacks and you dispute half of them, and then you win half of those that you dispute, um, then your net win rate is 25% because it's half of half. Um, and then you also have to factor into that um, any any sort of second chargebacks, um, representment type, um, excuse me, um, pre-arbitration type chargebacks, where um, the um, even if you win, then they they revert back to being a, um, a disputed transaction. Um, in most cases, you probably wouldn't dispute that a second time. So so really, that needs to be counted and factored in as a chargeback loss. One of the things that we find when we onboard a merchant for the first time is that they're typically looking at that top line number. So if they're, you know, disputing half of the the chargebacks that they receive, and then they're they're winning half of those, they, um, you know, usually report or consider that their win rate is around 50%. Um, but that is much lower than their actual win rate is. Um, and so their ability to recover revenue is um, significantly less than than it appears. So it's important that um, you kind of look at that. Now, as far as what a good win rate is, that's without knowing anything about your business, there's really no, um, there's no way for me to answer that, uh, you know, without knowing if you have a lot of criminal fraud chargebacks, for example, your net win rate, of course, is going to be a lot lower because you have actual um, criminal fraud liability. So one of the things that we Advocate is make sure that you're dealing with you know things that you can deal with so prevent those criminal fraud chargebacks have a manual review process some um, fraud scrubbing rules before the transaction and um, you know the most generic answer, and and I don't have a lot of information on the background of this number, but the the commonly cited number is a uh, number that was supplied by Visa some years ago, um, where they said that the average merchant wins um, um, the the average chargeback you know twenty percent are overturned, so um, that that would be a twenty uh, percent win rate. So that that would be the average, but but that's a you know. That's a that's a fairly low number, and you should be, um, you know, trying for a, for a much higher number. But again, it really depends. It goes from from merchant to merchant to merchant. Okay. The next question is, uh, what are the key metrics for um, SaaS businesses to pay attention to? Um, this is totally in your wheelhouse, Yogesh. I know you talked about them, but what would you say the key metrics are? What what are the sort of the the top maybe two or three? Yeah, sure. So, 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 to quickly recap, I would definitely
1: look at your at the at the monthly recurring revenue, the annual recurring revenue, the churn that uh, that, that comes out of it, um, customer acquisition costs, and lifetime values are are, are other measures that I would that, that I would consider.
0: Right. Okay uh okay so this next question is is one and this would be a whole other webinar if we got into this and i answered this in any kind of complete way um but i think i think since somebody asked i think it's super important that we that i mention um you know the 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 newest tool is uh, VMPI. So if what you're trying to do is trying to prevent chargebacks, then um, VMPI has been real successful at that, at um, you know sort of pre, preempting or preventing a certain type of chargeback. And and this is a real um, you know vague description, but but essentially, um, if you imagine that one of your customers goes to their bank, um, they don't recognize a charge or they are, you know, just, you know, trying to get away with filing a charge back because they regret um, signing up for whatever your program is. So they say that they don't recognize the charge, they didn't make the charge. Um, then what vmpi would allow you to do is it allow you to provide additional information to that um, issuer in real time so that they could then um, you know go back to the um, to the customer and say well look actually you know this this uh, this amount was for this product or this service and uh, you made this purchase on this day it was from this ip you know so so uh, all kinds of additional information that you can provide back to the issuer i'm not I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know all of the uh, data points that you can send back, but it's, uh, it's substantial. And um, what, what that'll do in, in a lot of cases is it'll prevent that chargeback from even happening. So it'll sort of arm the issuer with uh, the information that they need to, to, to sort of make sure that that. Um, chargeback doesn't get filed in the first place. Conversely, you can set up VMPI so that um, it, it auto refunds. So when, earlier in my presentation, when I was talking about um, you know a pure prevention play with um, recurring billing. Uh, y- 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 you know, just, just refunding and just allowing people to cancel and making that process very easy is the, the, the best um, solution for a reduction strategy. And what VMPI can allow you to do is it can allow you to avoid that chargeback by uh, just automatically refunding. So, so a customer calls their bank, they want to complain, they want to say, you know, it was very hard to cancel. Um, In a lot of cases, what will happen is uh, it'll ping you, you send a notification back that says, I've I've refunded that transaction, and then um, the, the the chargeback never happens. So, um, you know that 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 of course you know, you, you lose the ability to dispute the transaction, um, you know, down the road, but, uh, but from a purely preventative uh, standpoint, um, you know, that's, that's how that would work. So, so it's a really cool tool. A lot of customers are signing up for it. It's, it's a, it's a, we've seen a lot of success with it. We're real excited about it. MasterCard has a similar version and there's a couple other tools that work similarly that have been on the market a little bit longer. So, so that wasn't a quick answer, but that was as quick, a, that was as succinct an answer I can give um, to this question. Oh, now this next question is actually one I put in because I because I just it sort of is the same question as the previous question, but it is sort of the ridiculous version of that. So, um, you know, not not to call you ridiculous, you know, if you're if you're listening, but um, the 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 question was, how do I not have any chargebacks? And um, I I don't have an answer for you. If if you have an online business, a a a business where you're transacting, you're not, you know, you're not face to face, you're not, uh, you know. Uh, directly in contact with the person, then um, you know there really is no way if you're going to accept credit cards or debit cards for you to avoid uh, chargebacks altogether. However, um you know there, there there are a lot of things that you can do to reduce chargebacks. Um, sort of the tongue-in-cheek answer to this is uh, accept cash, Bitcoin, and um, Yogesh, You and I were talking, and I think you know uh, in a lot of cases a, um, a direct withdrawal or direct deposit type of uh, scenario is is something that you can um, you can offer that will allow you to avoid uh, chargebacks. So um, so so you, so you have um, some options there, but but generally if you're going to accept credit cards online. Um, chargebacks are going to be a right that the purchaser is going to have. Uh, there's there's really no way that you can avoid them altogether, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. The next question is, um, which metrics are most essential for startups, uh, for startup just uh, starting their subscription business? So this is sort of like the other one, but but is there yeah. is there different metrics that that startups should pay attention, uh, particular attention to?
1: Yeah, so, so I would still go with, with with a with a similar answer as what, what I had earlier. I would still look at your uh, look at the monthly revenue rate and the annual recurring revenue rate and the churn. But then again, it really depends on the kind of business you're on. Um, but when you when you're starting off, the focus should be on raw acquisition and growth on a month to month, if not on a week to week basis. While churn might not be really that much of a problem yet. It's something that you need to start setting up for and and uh, and, and ensuring that you're able to handle it as, as you start as you start growing. So definitely looking at growth metrics, it could be in, in terms of um, daily average users, um time spent on the application, and of course the kind of feedback you're actually getting from 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 customers are important things to keep an eye out for.
0: Yeah I, I imagine and it's fairly really complicated. Right
1: yeah so so it is really so if you're a SaaS business it's going to be different from being an e-commerce business right so if, if you're an instagram kind of uh, a kind of uh, company you you want to focus on getting those users and rather than getting the, getting the revenue and so growth is essentially going to mean different things for different kinds of businesses so it's sort of like asking how long is a piece of string without any other qualifying factors um, <laughs> in- included
0: yeah, yeah. I, I I imagine for for most uh, SaaS businesses, the the first obstacle is just getting, you know, that that initial user base, right? And then, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: So and and I think this is the sort of journey that even companies like Chargebee have gone through. So they start off with the problem definition and 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 start thinking of a solution to address that address that problem. And you find your first set of customers, and you sort of realize that your first five, ten customers uh might not be your ideal customers and your product is going to evolve and the way you're doing business is going to change and the point is in the first six months you're probably going to pivot and and that's okay and that's okay as
0: well Hmm. okay great um, okay, this next one is how to handle subscription canceled disputes when the customer never canceled. Um, and this is this is probably one of the, the questions that we get the most of and to a certain degree I, I can't really answer that question with any type of specificity. It's not, not my area of expertise. I don't actually compile the cases um, but it's also not something just as a business that we would we would talk about any kind of meaningful detail um, you know just because that's that's sort of what our core um, business is um you know but but i but i tell you there probably isn't really as many tricks or kind of kind of secrets as uh people might imagine um you know the the good news is that with the uh, the canceled um uh you know the people that that say that they call the bank and then they say that they canceled the subscription and they never did um you know really you you're, you're what your goal is to do is to prove that a they used your product, right? And there's a, there's a myriad of ways that they that you can do that, right? Um, you you have to prove that they um, that they didn't, right? So you have to prove that the it was very easy very easy very possible for them to cancel, and that you have uh, no records of them uh, attempting to cancel. And there's some some ways that you can do that. Um, and then you also have to prove that they clearly understood you know the 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 terms and the the billing and everything like that and i think that third one is really where a lot of times you're going to run into to to maybe your biggest obstacle because I think everybody's so acclimated to this you know agreeing to terms and conditions and you know and and a lot of legalese and things like that but I I, I really think it's important whether you you have a contract or whether you just have like a checkout page or something like that that those that those recurring um, that the details and the um, you know the the basic fundamental um thing that they're agreeing to is, is spelled out as clearly as possible because because that is going to be something that you can utilize um, to 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 dispute those chargebacks when they do it early. right
1: and and um, I, w- I
0: would like to add to that Jared so if you're mm-hmm. able to automate
1: automate parts of that it makes it much easier because you now have proof in hand like if you're using a uh, subscription billing platform like chargebee you want to actually think about how do you build that into your invoicing process, into your into your agreement process, mm-hmm. um, as, as you go. So, when you have incontrovertible proof, you have uh, something to uh, something, and you go into a dispute.
0: Yeah and and the only the last sort of thing that I always give as advice and it's you know pretty generic but I think it's important is that um you know use, use the the tools that you have available you know um w- one of the things that the companies overlook is they don't utilize their um customer service or client relations department um you know if that's something that you guys handle in house and, and generally once you get to a certain size we recommend that you do that um, you know, th- th- there's a tre- treasure trove of information that you could use, both from an optimization standpoint, like I was talking about earlier. But it's also a, a lot of times there'll be evidence there, um, and you just have to make sure that you're recording and documenting and sort of able to access that information. So, so yeah, you know, th- that can be a th- that can be a challenge. But once you have that figured out, then um, compiling these cases and disputing them successfully will be a will be a lot easier, I think. Okay. All right. Um, let's see, what time is it? All right. We'll, we'll go ahead. I think, um, we'll just go ahead and finish this out. We'll, I think we have a, another couple of questions. Um, uh, what metrics do investors look at during various stages of growth of S of SaaS companies? <laughs> All right. So, um, maybe let, let me, let me take a stab at
1: that. So, uh, it, it really depends on where you are. Um, so let's think about uh, folks who are at early stages of growth, whether they be at a seed stage or a Series A stage. Uh, metrics like customer sign-ups uh, is, is a good one to have. Um, there are reports that say that good numbers would be say five to seven percent on a weekly basis. Um, getting just getting subscriptions, just getting the subscribers coming on consistently is going to be a, is, is a good. Uh, uh, piece of metric that investors look at. When you're at series A or series B, churn starts becoming more important. Uh, it's a combination of both customer churn and revenue churn. So you might be growing, but with significant churn, it may mean that you haven't quite met the product market fit yet. When you come to series B and beyond, uh, you could treat it a little bit more like traditional businesses where investors value profitability and is coupled with growth. A good proxy for for this would be to look at the SAS quick ratio and the LTV that I spoke about earlier.
0: Okay, okay great. All right, so so it is it is uh, ten till um, ten till two Eastern Standard time. Um, so so I think there's one more question, but Yogesh, I think um, I think we can reach out and answer that question by email. Um, I just wanted to make sure we went all the way back to the beginning here, because with all sincerity, uh, you know, any of this that I went over, um, if you have any questions about chargebacks or just sort of data, um, you know, you can reach out to either Yogesh or myself. Um, you know, if you, if you have any specific questions or would like, uh, you know, again, if if you don't receive the recording, uh, anything like that, feel free to reach out to us. I just want to put our emails back up there again um and i think yogesh you're going to send some additional information over to the um the people that attended the webinar um, yes absolutely absolutely okay great and then and then you guys look out for an email from us that has the um uh, the recording of the webinar um like i said hopefully tomorrow but um if if not within uh, the next day or two so i i really appreciate you you joining us today yogesh i think this was a this was a good one it's got a lot of information i'm actually going to going to go back through your slides and kind of <laughs> Um, parse some of it here because there was a lot that you went through, but uh, I think uh, I hope everybody found it uh, informative and um, till next time. Thank you, Jared.
1: Have a good day. Have a good day, everyone. Bye, guys.